Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Georgetown Public Policy Review Podcast. My name is Ni, and I'm an interviewer for today's podcast. Before coming to Georgetown, I served as a hate crime prevention coordinator for Orange County Human Relations and the county's Human Relations Commission. I'm here with two incredible people, Don Hahn and Norma Lopez. Don Hahn is the Director of Operations at OCHR, and Norma Lopez is the Executive Director of the Commissions. Today, we will learn more about their journey, how they got into the work of hate prevention, learn a bit more about the organization, and the county's current prevention work. Welcome again, Don and Norma. To kick off our conversation, can you both tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and what led you to Orange County Human Relations? Thanks, Ni, for having us here. So excited to share this space with you. A little bit about myself. So I am a first-gen Latina and um, born and raised in Orange County. Um, so my commitment in um, serving this county and the community here comes stems from having lived and grown up in, in this wonderful uh, community. Um, I, you know, I went to school here. My family also started a, a life here. And after I received my bachelor's, I went off and and explored the world outside of Orange County. I served as a Peace Corps volunteer in Panama. And I quickly learned that um, I wanted to give back and, and find ways to open doors to support other folks um, who might not have a voice in places where decisions are being made, where policies that impact their everyday lives um, they're not represented and mm -hmm. it took a long way <laughs> upon, you know, coming back to the States from my service. Um, I worked at a wonderful organization such as the Girl Scouts and Children's Bureau. And I had the incredible opportunity to earn my master's through the National Urban Fellows Program and came back home and I found OCHR. I had met Don in a previous uh, role, mostly uh, just oh. sharing space mm -hmm. at the uh, at Children's Bureau mm -hmm. um, and learned a little bit about what they did. But once I got back, uh, I found that the mission really aligned with what I wanted to do um, with uh, just where I needed to be in the in that moment. And it's been eight years since I started with OCHR and it's been an incredible journey. Um, and honestly, it's, it's, it really uh, is a home away from home because um, there's a whole lot of talented and passionate people that are really working towards social equity and social justice and um, uplifting the voices that usually are not uplifted and, finding ways to make sure that we're creating a society of belonging and really combating and um, trying to disrupt the cycle of hate that continues to 
plague us. Uh, and I, it's such an honor and privilege to be in this space with, with you know, with you who were part of our team, but also um, folks like Don and the rest of our colleagues. That's awesome, Norma. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Neve, for this opportunity. So my name is Don Han. I am a, a refugee here to this country over 40 years ago. So <clears throat> over 40 years ago, my family and I escaped the communist government from Laos, um, went into a refugee camp in Thailand, um, and had the opportunity to be sponsored to United States. And um, that was a profound experience. Um, one of the very vivid experiences that I remember when our family got moved from the first refugee camp to the second refugee camp, because we already been in, you know, accepted um, to be sponsored to come to the United States. And the purpose of that camp was really to learn about US society and what's it like to be living in the United States and trying to learn English at the same time. Um, I remember the picture that was painted for us that United States is, is uh, the land of opportunity, the dream, the third, what we call the third country or the home, the new home. Um, third country meaning like our first country that we escaped, uh, you know, left. Second country, which is Thailand, our host country, you know, uh, and then third country is the destination, right? And so we're all excited spending months learning about our future home and what's it going to look like. And um, shockingly, when we arrived to San Francisco International Airport, <laughs> um, it was pretty cold. It's in the middle of February for us coming from Southeast Asia to a Bay Area here in Southern, I mean, in Northern California. It's pretty cold. And um, we were put in quarantine for a week in some kind of a, a you know complex place where we stayed there for a week. And then after a week, our sponsor came and picked us up, took us to our new home. We we're excited. And uh, upon the arrival to our new home, we realized that the communities they look a lot different than what we saw in the in the film. And first and foremost, no one in our community is white. So everyone in our community is African American. So um, we were living in a housing project in Southwest Oakland, and uh, among few other refugees family. And right away, we're not we know that it's going to be different and it's going to be challenging. And um, again, that's the first time that we actually experienced uh, being other, othering uh, concept, you know, folks telling us like, go back home. You don't belong here. A couple of years later, we moved down to Southern California, here in particular in Santa Ana and Orange County. And again, living among other, in an apartment complex, among other 
immigrants and refugees and uh, try to settle in to a new home and often continue to experience, you know, what Norma have shared earlier, the moment of discriminatory comments or harassment. It was hard, it was very challenging because as a refugee, we already know like, we're not going back. <laughs> you know, uh, we're here for good, right? And at the same time is how do we fit in? And I know that in the early 1980s, um, the concept of assimilation, try to assimilate as fast as you can so you won't look like others, right? Um, learn the language, you know, learn the trade or whatever or not. And it's been a journey and my journey was in college, I wanted, I always wanted to give back. I always wanted to say, how, how, do, how do I give back so people who are like me that are coming here or been here doesn't have to experience what we went through. Senior year in college, I started looking for internship um, and I found this place called OC Human Relations. And funny enough, when I came for an interview, it was like the office was literally across the street from the neighborhood I grew up in, you know, mini street, the apartment. And I met a young woman who interviewed me, also grew up in the neighborhood, but she said, you, you are accepted to be part of our internship. I was so excited and uh, I started volunteering for the work, realizing that, wow, maybe this is something that I could do for a long time because this is a space where it allowed me to share my lived experience with others that is willing to listen. And now I'm doing, uh, you know, supporting as an operation director. Thank you, Don, and thank you, Norma, for sharing with the listeners a little bit about your lived experiences and how that led you to the work that you all do today. For our next question, and for those who don't know, I know that we mentioned the organization a little bit. Can you tell us a little bit more about OCHR and the commission itself, so Orange County Human Relations Commission? The Orange County Human Relations Commission was founded in 1971, and it, it was an official governmental commission that was created by the Board of Supervisors in collaboration with the Orange County Division of the League of California Cities. The intent behind that was there was peripheral uh, events happening that really led to the establishment of this body and trying to be preventative from violence and, and some other riots that were happening. The mission of the commission is to seek out the causes of tension and conflict, discrimination and intolerance, and, and to an attempt to eliminate those causes. Throughout the years, what the commission has done or has had the capacity or authority to do has changed. Uh, but, you know, most of the role of this commission is to discuss, the, you know, the matters that are appropriate and about the different social issues that might be affecting the communities in the county. There's been times where it's 
engaged in research and put out research reports. Uh, there's been times where there's been a response to a specific crisis in the community and having to lead some type of effort to, to either bring people together to discuss and find solutions. There's been instances where there's programs that have had to come out as a measure of continuity and sustainability to a response to a crisis. And there's a couple of different programs that started at the commission level. And, you know, through time we found this needs to continue and needs a, a more stable source of income funding. And now they live under the commission, the, the Human Relations Council, the nonprofit. That's how the nonprofit came about. So in 1991, the nonprofit OC Human Relations Council was established. Our founder, with support of and even guidance of um, some county folks, uh, said, you know, there, there might be a possibility to be able to expand the reach and really do a little bit more support in the preventative side of the work that the commission is doing. And in establishing this private-public partnership, uh, you'd be able to sustain a lot more of the programs than you might ever be able to do under county funding. And, and that's how the council was established. Now, when you compare both the commission and the, and the council, their, their missions align, uh, but the work has changed a lot. Council does a lot more now than, than you know what it could have been doing if it continued to be a county, a county type of project. Specifically to the commission, the commission currently does more of the focus around hate crime response, uh, tracking and reporting. Uh, crisis response when there is bias motivated related type of incidents that are high profile and kind of gain a, garner a lot of attention. We usually uh, reach out and provide some support there. And the small part of prevention versus also community education is going out and doing workshops, presentations, holding different space, creating different dialogue spaces for folks to process for folks to be able to connect and then hopefully lead um, into more work around healing. Um, so in a nutshell, that's how uh, our, our organization came to be. The support from the council is very unique here in Orange County because for the council, um, we are able to function and operate as a nonprofit that give us the ability to even go seek um, different funding revenue to support our work um, that the county may um, not have a capacity to support fully, right? Which is also supporting the county because we're doing the same work that is representing and supporting Owens County in general. Um, especially when we do work that uh, long-term, for example, our school bridges program have been working with school community here for 30 years. And some school been with us for a couple of decades. So what that means is that the, the sustainability of the program 
to shift or continue to enhance the positive culture and you know positive safe and inclusive culture for each school campus that we work with it's a long term not just a one shot deal and then we're fading away we all know that especially in high school right you have a wave of four years students come in four years later hopefully they successfully graduate and move on and then we have a whole new wave that come in right um, that work itself changed people's life and when you have positive impact of teaching young people to support the effort to prevent hate. Then as they grow somewhere, you know, they, if they move on somewhere, they take that with them. You know, we have students that are like yourself or other folks that come in here that are actually on the East Coast and they're reflecting on the work that they've done with us and they're using that in their own community or the community that they're in at the moment. And, and many of them actually return home. And we have recently or have been um, you know, hiring our former student to be part of our team and to do this, continue to do this work. And that's, that's always been a rewarding experience to have. Um, but I, I, I love what um, the way the direction that is going now in this partnership, um, especially in the last couple of years that the support that the county is providing, extra support and um, the way we are adjusting and improving our program and expanding our program. You know, um, unfortunately we have this pandemic and it forces us to do things virtually and Fortunately, with that discovery that we could do things virtually, some of our work even expand outside of Orange County. You know, we have done some, you know, DEI training outside of Orange County, like even East Coast, <laughs> you know. Um, so these are the things that we are learning and improving as we, uh, we're trying to do our best. Thank you, Don, and thank you, Norma. As folks can tell, there's an extensive and exhaustive list of programmatic work that is being done under OCHR and in partnership with the commission. A lot of us recognize that the work of hate prevention isn't easy, and you two have been at OCHR for quite some time. When you think back to your journey at this organization and within this work, what is your aha moment or a reason that keeps you going? My aha moment was, especially when I was serving in the role as hate crime prevention coordinator, and part of that job was to respond to a hate crime or to reach out to an individual, someone who had been impacted by hate crime or hate incident. I usually would get a call from a law enforcement agency said, hey, we're responding to a hate crime and the person or the family or person who've been impacted by this event would like to be connected to your agency and to the resources available for them. So when we pick up the call and I said, my name is Don, I am calling you from the Orange County Human Relations Commission or OC Human Relations, First and foremost, sorry that you have to experience 
this incident or this hate crime. I want you to know that Orange County is here and to support you and to make sure that you not experience this alone and you do have support. Once you finish that sentence, individual usually ask, why me? What did I do wrong? Why did I become the victim of hate? And when you get that similar question asking over and over again by folks that have been impacted, you kind of feel like, hey, there's the need for us to do this work, unfortunately. But most fortunately is that the recipient of our effort appreciate that there is someone that reaching out to them at the moment of their most vulnerable time. You know, I recently talked to a person who had been impacted by a hate crime and the person shared with me that that outreach was very meaningful for her because she was at the stage of vulnerability and her mental health was at stake and she just didn't know where to trust or who to trust. Being able to be able to have conversation or connected to our colleague that she could rely on and that give her hope. You know, and and I feel that the aha moment for us is that we do have an you know have a role that we could create positive impact for someone that needed that support. You're right, me. Hate prevention work. I think like any other type of prevention work, whether it's on the service provider industry, it's challenging because you're trying to fix a problem as it's happening. There's an intersection of different things at play that perpetuate the issue at hand. And hate is very much an issue that has deep root causes and it's intersectional in so many different ways and so many different levels. So sometimes it could be very taxing to... We we go in and do the response, do the day-to-day. We do the support of the victims, the reporting, the bringing lights, uplifting voices. You find some type of renewed energy in being able to create those spaces for folks who otherwise wouldn't have the ability to tell their story or feel safe enough to say, look, this is happening to me. Because historically... They've never been listened to. They've been shut down or there's been fear instilled in speaking up. And that's a win. When you begin to be try to uncover and unpack the source, that's where sometimes it becomes challenging and it, and, and it sucks the energy of, out of you because there's so many elements. There's so many players and, and folks that you know should be at the table, but they don't want to be sometimes. Uh, they don't want to hear it. Others, like I said, haven't been given the opportunity to to be at the table, to be part of creating the solutions. What keeps me coming back is the fact that OC Human Relations brings as staff and people who are invested in this work that bring their 110% to the table 
And not only that, but as an organization, our leadership has explicitly championed that we bring our whole selves to the table. No judgment, right? That there's no wrong answer. That if you're an outlier, you're not an outlier here because we are all outliers. And when you work under that type of leadership, when you find a place where you feel heard, where you feel empowered, it just keeps feeding that fire of coming back every day, no matter what barriers or challenges you're going to face that day, it keeps keep bringing you back because you know that you have an organization that has your back and they have colleagues that have your back and that know and are in the trenches with you and know the struggle, but are still here every day battling it out. That's why I can probably say that this is my eighth year at OCHR. Hopefully one day we'll cease to exist because we've done, all done our jobs and we've all brought people alongside us and we found the key. And until then, we need to connect more. We need to make sure that we are expanding and bringing others who want to make the world a better place and who are willing to roll up their sleeves and say, we're going to have to do this together. Thank you, Norma, and thank you, Don, for both sharing your aha moments. I now want to shift our conversation over to the current hate prevention efforts in Orange County. In 2021, the Board of Supervisors unanimously approved a $1 million contract to expand the anti-hate programs in Orange County. Can you walk us through the expansion and the changes in the counties and some of the current challenges in the work of hate prevention? Definitely. So as you've already mentioned, in 2021, the Board of Supervisors approved um, a $1 million contract to expand the work that my staff had already been doing. The expansion itself focused in three different areas. Uh, and this was based on input that we gathered through from the community through different listening sessions um, and convenings. And when we were trying to identify what the gaps were, these were the three areas that came up every single time. One of them was accessibility language. Uh, and the language barrier. So one of the areas that we looked at was how is it that we're able to expand our capacity in terms of folks being able to access a reporting site um, that was culturally and language competent, uh, our outreach materials that there were language and culturally adapted and competent. Um, so really taking this multicultural, multilingual diverse lens and applying it across all of our efforts, um, specifically how folks could report. The second arena was like the identification and, and the, the common knowledge that hate, and hate activity is underreported. And 
there's so many different reasons for that. But one, like I mentioned earlier, was how accessible is it for folks to be able to report incidents to us or law enforcement? And so with that, what we did is we improved our database and our reporting forms. We were able to partner with our local 211 who already had a network established, already had a call center established, and all it was really building out a space to collect data specific to hate activity in Orange County. Being able to have different ways to report, so everything from using an online form to texting to calling, and that every single time someone reports, they're able to access all of this in the language that they needed. The The last piece for us was how do we increase awareness, uh, specifically in some of our high-targeted communities, but that were really difficult to access. With that, we were able to look and partner with different community-based organizations who service specific um, culture or uh, diverse communities in Orange County who were service providers uh, that could really meet those threshold languages, the cultural competency, but that also had a reach in certain communities that needed the information, that needed to become aware uh, the about the importance of reporting, but also that there could, that there is resources at the end of that, that they could get help. And um, the, uh, you know, the, the, the element that was important for us there too was how do, is it, how did we improve the way that we supported our victims? Um, depending on how that hate, bias motivated hate activity is being labeled, some folks have more access to resources than others. And for us, regardless of whatever category it fell under, we wanted to make sure that folks felt supported, that folks didn't feel isolated, and that they can report from whatever comfort zone they're in, and that they didn't necessarily need to go to a space where they didn't feel safe to do so. Uh, and that there will always be someone there to support and guide. That's really been the focus around the expansion. And thus far, you know, creating this new database and accessibility has really shown the difference in the number of reports we're getting, which means it's increased. Unfortunately, I mean, it's a good thing, but it's also a bad thing uh, in terms of the fact that this is this is real, this is happening. And at the same time, there's been things that we've learned in the process because now there's other type of challenges that we're uncovering with this expansion, right? It's creating pathways now for other communities who might've been ignored, who report, but don't receive the support as they should. How do we engage in real conversations with the targeted communities about preventative work? And, and I think that that's been, that's where we are right now. That's that's the challenge that we're facing. 
uh, because most of the funding and most of our work has lived in the response arena. Crisis response, we respond to a, a report being made. How do we support um, uh, you know, those people uh, are the victims and it's only a subset of the work that needs to be done. Prevention is the area where we have yet, at least in the commission work, have yet to be able to really explore and, and cement in our programs and projects, which is some discussions that we're having internally in our team on how do we begin to have those conversations where we get commitment from different entities to not only the response piece, but how is it that we engage in these conversations about, you know, being a, an upstander, upstander or bystander? How do we begin to shift the narrative, the way that we speak about each other, the way that we interact with each other? How do we begin the process of healing? That means there's some tough conversations that have, have to happen to be able to get to that place. But it's the willingness, I think. And, and not only that, but also it takes resources. It takes people. And, and, and that's the other challenging part. There's so much more that we could be doing, but then, you know, we're at a capacity with our staff. And in order for us to be able to do that, we need more people. And with that, that means we need more funding. So I'll, I'll stop there and Don, give your point of view. No, I think you cover it all. I, I know that, you know, the current challenge of the work is unfortunately in the last five years or so, the, the rising trend of hate crimes number been on the rise and hasn't slowed down. You know, and I think that at the local level, at least we're trying to do our best to focus on prevention and the, and the root cause of that, which normal team is doing a very good job about how do we continue to do the work that it, it will prevent. You know, our goal is hopefully we don't have to respond, right? <laughs> That's the ultimate goal. The less responding we have to do, the better. A lot of folks might not understand that it took tenfold effort or more to do prevention than reaction. Those those work sometimes don't always are visible. You know, it's not always like a glamorous to having what we call human relation dialogue. Talk about finding common ground. Talk about. What's it like to create a safe and inclusive community? Uh, for us, what's it like to create an Owens County where people feel like they do belong here? Sometimes people don't even want to engage in that type of conversation because it's like normal said it could get exhausting, right? They wait until something happened, but once you wait till something happened, it's too late. You have to be proactive. Thank you, Norma, for sharing more about the expansion work and what's currently being done. And thank you, Don, for adding to that. I know that you both talked about some of the existing challenges that includes staffing and getting the support and funding. Are there other things that you two believe is necessary to overcome 
those obstacles to hate prevention today that those who are listening can consider or engage and think through to support the effort. Early on in the pandemic, there were slogans that talk about we're all in it together. Hate is hate. We live in a very diverse community here in Orange County, and we're very proud to have this diverse community. We should not see the trend for hate crime against one community as isolations or as a one-off. You know, if it impact one community, it impact all of us. The inner ethnic relations or the inner group or inner section should always be the, the forefront of how do we come together as united as united community to fight hate? 2020 here in Orange County, up no, 2020 on, Asian American community have been impacted heavily with hate incidents and hate crime here in Orange County. But we also have other community that step in and say, "Hey, we're here to support you all. You know, we're here to be in solidarity with you." And how do we improve? I think that's a level of unity that sometimes is not always captured in our media or social media or this good thing that's happening. The awareness of the community effort. You know, and I think it 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 been here, this kind of work has been here for decades. People don't sometimes recognize that. Unfortunately, the media pick up on things that could be somewhat divisive. And it's such a flash, right? People see the news and they're like, oh, that's happening. But there was a lot behind that like split second that was out there um, that we people don't talk about. And we don't even have an opportunity sometimes to talk about, right? And I feel like to overcome that challenge, we we have to continue to be okay uh, sharing information, be transparent, be in communication constantly and uplifting each other as a community. And at the same time, if there's something that happened, we have to be out there to support each other. Don brings up a, a very important point that I think we at OCHR try to really push and it's about solidarity, allyship. How do you show up? Hate, hate crimes or hate incidents traumatize not only the individuals that are targeted, but as Don mentioned, it stigmatizes communities and it divides societies. And when we're when we talk about the intersectionality of hate. Um, you know, we, we point out the marginalized communities that they're being targeted for so many different identities, right? And they overlap and they reinforce one another. And with that, it reinforces some old hatreds that kind of historically continue to be perpetuated. The other, the other, you know, belongingness to have some amazing work around this concept of othering. And at OCHR, we, you know, in the past two years, we've really been um, following their the work and their research and, 
And how is it that we're able to, to really take that practice of breaking us, dividing us, pitting us against each other to the to, to a more constructive arena of bridging. And that's what we need, right? As a community, we have to recognize that when one community is targeted, we're all being targeted. This is all, you know, when they, it's not one is more than the other. It's more suffering than the other. We can't see each other as, as adversaries. <laughs> we actually have to come together. So we began to pull away from that false narrative of us versus them. That, you know, because when we start using those terminologies, we we begin to dehumanize each other. And the moment that we begin to dehumanize each other, that's when violence comes in. That's when things like what happened in Colorado this weekend happened and so much more. So when this manufactured term of other is, is become structural and it becomes like something that is perceived, then it's really difficult to say, how do I relate to other groups who might be facing the same challenges? How do, but really, there hasn't been a space where we are able to come together to see each other on the same platform. And that's where we need folks to understand and, and, and unite. It's, we need to do deep listening we have to create those empathetic spaces um, and the recognition of suffering, the recognition that we've all have these challenging lived experiences that might not be the same, but in the end, whoever perpetuated was with the same end, right? Of creating this division. So that way we begin to reject um, and recognize that our unique differences. And in that, we're able to hopefully break that cycle of oppression and misinformation and build, co-create spaces where we all, you know, there's justice, there's equity, there's diversity, and, and we all we all belong. But I, I, you know, there's so many levels to be able to do that. And if folks are able to do some of the internal learning to then be able to impart that through their community and bring it together, it's, it's really going to begin to drive some of that change in, in the narrative that, you know, sometimes is, is, is very hurtful. If if we continue to use um, some of the harmful language that we have, thank you, Norma, and thank you, Don. If you can both reimagine the world, what would it look like then to you two? I think that um, for me, reimagining the world is very difficult to do. I I just imagine what I can do 
um, in my in my capacity and my peace. And part of me is that I hope that I could share some of my experience or my knowledge or learn knowledge from other folks and share their experience and knowledge. And at the same time, um, being kind and compassionate toward our environment, either as physical environment or emotional environment or space that we're in, in a way that continue to do less harm. I'm a nature person. So when I go out on a hike or visit a, a, a park or places like that, I, I'm, I'm going to be mindful of where I even step to making sure that I'm not stepping to a new growth plant that can nourish this planet, right? And at the same time, if I'm in the space where, if I'm a facilitator, for example, I want to be mindful that the people in the room are safe and be authentic. They can have a place to be authentic just for that moment, even for during that moment. So in that way, that whatever it's worth, that they are leaving in a better state than they were coming in. I hope the world continue to take small steps like that. If we all collectively do that, then hopefully we'll get better. I think about a world where we uplift and we respect human dignity. That's sort of our our guide. How is it that we are valuing and reevaluating someone's, you know, inherent human dignity? How is it that a world where someone has access to what is it that they need to be able to to live a safe life where they feel they can accomplish their dreams um and 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 that in we're able to share resources equitably where we're not having to fight for basic human need water food seeing that we're able to you know the folks are able to access that equitably and we don't have to agree on any on everything but that there's harmony right in in being able to be respectful to beg to differ but reimagining reimagining how is it that we are able to deal with conflict when we are in conflict and not resort to hate not resort to violence that we're able to do it in a harmonious way that's the world that i would that's how i will reimagine the world thank you to i know that the possibility exists and that we can really create a world that centers compassion love and empathy my last and hardest question for you both is if someone would like to learn more about OC Human Relations, where can they go to get more information? 
It would be www.ochumanrelations.org. That's our website. Thank you, Don. Thank you again to Don and Norma for joining me on today's episode. Be sure to check out ochumanrelations.org for more information about the incredible work that they are all doing. Thank you again for listening to the Georgetown Public Policy Review Podcast. I hope you enjoyed our conversation. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and check out more from GPPR at gppreview.com. Thank you. Thank you.